Can you monetize your passions, your expertise, your knowledge in both the nonprofit and the for-profit space at the same time? Our guest today is going to show us exactly how to do that. Let's go. Welcome to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. And you get a chance to interact with them. To me, that's full-time ministry. You get to serve them. You can be a tenant. You're going to be paying somebody forever. If you do not niche down, you will never be successful. You'll be so busy just trying to catch everyone and never reaching the right one. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is the truth of the matter is we're not going to die happy because tattoo diabetes is like a thief. It brings in itself and then it opens I want to provide content and things that are going to help change lives. And I simultaneously want you to, to receive a blessing from that. And embrace that calling. I believe God's blessing that stuff. God's blessing that stuff. Now here's your host, Kamon Hunt. All right, welcome back. I'm excited about today's episode. And before we get into it, you know what to do. Subscribe to the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're watching this on another platform, go over to YouTube and look for Monetize Your Ministry Podcast and subscribe over there. If you're listening to this on a podcasting platform, subscribe and then do something more and just give us a rating and a review so it'll help someone else to find this great content. And one more thing. Why not share it? You might know someone who can benefit from the stuff we talk about on this episode and in past episodes. Share it with them so they can learn how to increase their income and their inca- impact. All right, listen, I'm excited today to introduce our guest. He's one of my good friends, someone who I went to school with uh, over 20 years ago. Yeah, it's 20 years ago now. And uh, we both took similar paths in our work as pastors. And then we both took similar exits from that work. And we've been doing something different for a while. Um, I'm excited to share with you what he's doing because some of you might identify with what he is doing to monetize, to create impact. And so our guest today is Dr. Robert Davis. Davis, welcome to the podcast today, man. Man, it's so good to be here. Come on. I'm just I'm just excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. Yes, sir. Listen, um, I mentioned I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier about us being pastors, working, leading congregations, and now working in a different space, still making impact, still leading. But I wanted to start off with this question, one that I ask all of my guests, right? Because this is the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. So, uh, Robert, what is your definition of ministry? My definition of ministry is serving the be- the, uh, the larger community, serving the larger community, mm-hmm. uh, improving the larger community, building the larger community. So that's that's my definition. And of course, that that has many facets. And I've, I've really discovered that as I've, you know, w- w- as I've transitioned out of congregational leadership, that there's just so many facets to how one can build their community, strengthen their community, enrich their community, uh, uh, support their community. Uh, other words, can do ministry. Yeah, that's good. By the way, if you're a guest, if you're watching this podcast, you're gonna rec- you'll recognize really quickly that Robert is an orator. So he says stuff in just much better ways than than I can say it. It's, everything has a little rhyme to it, you know. They comes in, they come in threes. But you you mentioned impacting their community, and I think that's where I want to start here. Um, 
as I look at what you're doing now and what you did when you were leading in congregational ministry, there's a lot of similarities to what you're doing now and what you're doing then. You're leading people. You're making impact. What do you see are some of the similarities between what you were doing as a paid professional congregational leader and what you're doing now? And then you can almost start by telling people what you're doing now. Okay, so what I do now is is, is two faceted. Uh, I have a nonprofit, uh, and we do uh, we specialize in uh, public safety policy advocacy. We create public safety policies that minimize the footprint of law enforcement in black and other marginalized communities, uh, and then return the responsibility of public safety uh, back to the community so that we're asking the same questions, but rather than asking law enforcement to solve our public safety problems, we're actually asking uh, people in the community to step up and to take responsibility and then giving them the tools, the resources, uh, and the uh, structural mechanisms to be able to do that. Uh, then another thing that we do is, uh, and this came as a result of working with so many uh, varying community organizations is we also provide a leaders peer support community uh, for high level leaders, executives, directors, C-suite officers, etc. cetera. Uh, it's a community where leaders support one another. Uh, so our tagline is leaders need more uh, than a consultant or a coach. They need a community. And so we've organized the community in such a way that leaders serve one another as consultants and can serve one another as coaches in order to build each other up. So uh, that's, 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 that's kind of uh, what I'm doing. And I got so tied up into what I was doing that I forgot the initial question that you asked. No, so the, you, no, see, you, 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 you answered it right. Like, what are you doing now? And then compare that to what you were doing when you were leading the various congregations that you had charge over. So just inside the nonprofit world, uh, starting off there, uh, Pastors are executive directors of a nonprofit that provides spiritual care and community uh, um, services. Every pastor I've ever met, whether mm -hmm. uh, their church is large or small, they are the executive director of a nonprofit that provides spiritual care as well as community services. And so the transition was quite easy for me because when, when I, you know, when I began to get into the role of an executive director of a nonprofit that I founded, I saw that the same managerial skills, interpersonal relationship skills, et cetera, are necessary to form a strong uh, nonprofit. So let's let's stay here for a minute. You said the same managerial skills the same leadership skills were necessary. And again, for those watching this podcast, those listening to this podcast, you know I've said this m multiple times. This isn't just for people who are um, pastors or spiritual, paid spiritual leaders, but it is a, a large group of people who listen to this are pastors, spiritual leaders. And for a lot of a lot of them, they may think, well, my skills aren't transferable to other spaces, right? People yeah. may look down on it because all I did was pastor a church. Like talk, talk to someone who might have that mindset about what you've seen in, in the work you're doing now as a nonprofit leader outside working with um, the civic organizations, working with local government. What, are you, what have you seen that you can talk to that person about that, that mindset? 
Yeah, I think one of the, the first things is, and we talked about managerial skills is that, you know, when you're in the nonprofit space, when you're in the for profit space, you typically have a board, board of directors, uh, whether it is your uh, shareholders or whoever it may be. You have a board that you're responsible to answering to, to uh, sharing your vision with. Uh, and then getting feedback. And sometimes that relationship is smooth and harmonious. Sometimes it's conflictual. Uh, you know, sometimes you have a board that is uh, disconnected from the day to day operations of the organization that's in the church and in the community work or, um, you know, corporate work. Uh, sometimes you have a board that is micromanaging. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have all these different constructs. And so uh, being emotionally mature as well as having strong interpersonal relationship skills are necessary no matter where you are, you know, where you, where you find yourself. The second thing is, uh, you know, as, as pastors, we lead congregations and oftentimes within those congregations, you have conflicting objectives, points of view and desires. Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing community work, you'll find the exact same thing. Let's let's take, for instance, uh, I am currently doing uh, facilitation uh, and leadership development for uh, an organization that is working on infant and maternal mortality. So you have in the room individuals who benefit from the current health structure the way that it is the insurance structure, the hospital and, and, and primary care and uh, OBGYN structure the way that it currently is. You have individuals that are identifying uh, racist and or systemic uh, problems with the current system. And so you're putting them in a room and you're saying, OK, even though you have total different objectives, uh, bottom lines, et cetera, how do we come together to meet a common objective of lowering the uh, uh, infant and maternal mortality rate, especially among black and other minority women. Mm-hmm. And, and so and so you, you develop those skills uh, through pastoring, those facilitation skills. You develop those skills in whatever organization that you're working with. So you, you begin to see a transferring of that skill set uh, no matter where you find yourself. Humans are humans. People are people. Objectives are objectives. That's so good. And I think for someone watching this, one of the things I want you to take away from what uh, uh, Dr. Davis Robert just said is that the skills you develop in one arena, um, you may not see how valuable they are, even in that arena, until you move somewhere else and you begin using it somewhere else. You, you, you start realizing, wait a minute, I may, I may have been seeing this as something that's simple, but once you get into another arena with new challenges and new as you said, people are people, but you apply those skills to somewhere else. You even begin to see even more how valuable those skills were. Exactly. Yeah. And so, that's been my experience. Yeah. I want to I want to ask you this. So I look at the stuff that you're doing, um, helping um, marginalized communities and individuals uh, working on things that improve public safety and the, the the relationship within those communities. Where did you get those that passion for that? Where, where did that, where did that come from, Davis? Where did that come from? It came from the late Reverend John D. Aaron in Alexandria, Louisiana, who mm-hmm. I was very close friends with. Uh, who in my uh, when I first when I first left the seminary, uh, drove me around in his uh, white 
uh, Tahoe, uh, introduced me to the mayor and other people in the city, explained to me some of the challenges that a town like Alexandria has from a financial and racial perspective. And then he looked me dead in the eyes. And I know, and I know this is going to sound you know, so cliche, but he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, Robert, remember, son, you don't pastor a church, you pastor the city. Mm. And, and so uh, that began me on a journey of being, you know, heavily engaged in every city that I've pastored in, being heavily engaged around uh, um, social justice, uh, around health and equity and all of those things in every city. Uh, in Baton Rouge, before I moved here to Denver, we started the uh, Berean uh, Community Wellness and Support Center, which offered a free clinic uh, for members in the community. Uh, we had after-school tutorial programs, basketball uh, a league uh, for um, adults and youth to be able to come to a place and play basketball. We even had a person murdered at, at the basketball league mm -hmm. game. But we continued, after everything calmed down, we continued the basketball league because we recognized how important it was for um, our community to uh, to have access to those services and for us to be able to provide them. It's that kind of, of, of thinking again that has led this. But it was when I moved to Denver that I recognized that all of the great programs that a church provides are phenomenal but that you also have to have people that are working behind the scenes to change the policies that create the conditions whereby the programs are necessary in the first place. Yeah. yeah. So why do we need to have a church provide a free clinic uh, that, you know, that does uh, general health care? It's because our health care system is so broken. And so if we can begin to change policies around the health care system, then that will support what the church does. So I, I began to see the, the 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 larger picture. Yeah, and I think um, you you present that great picture that that putting together of the two things. And I want to just point out what you're doing now is a continuation of the ministry you started while you were leading a congregation. And for a lot of people, I want you to understand when we talk about monetizing your ministry, your ministry is something you start serving within a local body of believers. But there is there sometimes is a nudge from God, I believe, to move out of that space to even expand what you're doing. And what I'm glad why I'm glad that you're on here, uh, Robert, is that a lot of the people I talk to and even what I advocate a lot is the for profit side of it, right? Which is selling your services and packaging and packaging it in such a way that you're mainly selling um, business to consumer. I'm selling my course, I'm selling my product, I'm selling my book, whatever. But you're doing it differently. At least you started doing it differently in the nonprofit space where you are monetizing, you're receiving funding, not just from individuals, but from organizations. Kind of talk to us about what even made you think about doing, like getting funding through grants and all those. What even made you think about doing that? Well, you know, before I transitioned, I started a 501c3 and got approved and everything. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Tracy Clark from Clark and Clark. Uh, visit Clark and Clark, man. They, they helped me to get my 501c3 up and running and to understand. She coached me on how to go through the grant writing process, how to set up your organization's finances so that you're in the best position to receive grants and things uh, from uh, philanthropic organizations. So that, that kind of was the, uh, the catalyst. Um, I guess the larger catalyst was I made the move. And then I realized that once you make the move, you still got to eat. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Now, now let's talk. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah, we And so, um, how do you generate funds? Uh, right. You generate funds again, as you've been saying, by looking at what you do well, and then applying that in a way that helps your community. This, you, the reason that you get paid as a pastor, you know, in in the perfect world, is because you provide a very unique skill set to a congregation of like-minded believers. And someone is willing to pay you to lead that congregation. And so if you transfer that to something else, someone's gonna be willing to pay you, whether it's a philanthropic organization, whether it's individuals, I mean, philanthropic organizations, whether it's individuals or whether it is uh, um, businesses, people are willing to pay when you have something high level skill-wise to offer and to provide. That's good. So you recognize one, I want to keep serving in the thing that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. I have to get it out there and someone has to pay for it. Right. Yes. That's part of you. You being able to do more of the thing that you were called to do. Your heart is shaped to do. Your story might even have set you up to do. Someone has to pay for that. And you are going. For, you started off first with philanthropic organizations. Um, I'm not asking you to give us everything. But what are two tips, maybe one or two tips you can give someone who is thinking, I want to monetize. Maybe I want to go this route of nonprofit. What are some tips you can give them to get started and maybe just some things to look out for? Because, you know, you don't win all the grants. So tell us some of the tips to start and things to look out for. Tip number one, and this is perhaps the most important thing that you need to do, and that is to schedule an appointment with Kimon Hines. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even begin to tell you how important that is. Um, Kimon, first of all, I want to just pause for a moment and say thank you because uh, you did a lot of behind the scenes coaching with me uh, where uh, you knew I was just getting started. I'm assuming that's why you did not charge me, um, which you were more than uh, worth whatever you would have charged. Uh, And I appreciate you making sacrifices on behalf of of, of my uh, ventures. But that's the first thing I would tell people to do. Reach out to Kimon Hines, uh, reach out to Ideas to Life, find out, uh, set, a, set a consultation with him so you can begin the journey of thinking through with a, a skilled professional coach, thinking through how you transfer your skills uh, and, and, and begin to uh, uh, figure out how to monetize it. That's, that's number one. Number two, and I know this is going to sound somewhat cliche again, but you've just got to do it. Like Nike says, just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that Uh, hinders people is fear, Mm -hmm. fear of the unknown, the fear of stepping out. And uh, again, I announced to my my conference president, my bishop, uh, that uh, I was going to be transitioning out. He and I met January of 2018. I I told him that in June of 2019, I was transitioning out. Um, I began to announce to key people in my life that I was transitioning out. I didn't mention it to the church because a year and a half is a very long time for a church to be sitting with a pastor who's leaving. Uh, But, uh, you know, I made it very clear that I was leaving and that made it uh, necessary for me to take the jump because I'm a very proud person. I can't put something out there in the atmosphere and then not do it. Right. Uh, So so just do it. Set a deadline. Say this is what I'm going to do it and do it, whether Mm -hmm. the money is there, whether whatever is there. Meet with Kimon. Set a deadline, do it. Nice. Okay. And that doesn't mean but, you can leave. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Let me just say this, uh, Kimon. I've been doing a lot of talking. I apologize. Let me just say that doesn't mean that you have to leave pastoral leadership. 
But if, if you're going to start a, a personal venture, you say that I'm going to start this personal venture October 2023, do it. You can continue to pastor, you know, but but you have to have a date positive and you launch and only two people show up or you do a webinar and nobody shows up. You just do it and you keep doing it and you keep falling on your face and you keep making mistakes, but you keep pushing forward because we didn't start off with 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 uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in grants. And I didn't have uh, eight employees uh, that were a part of my team when we first started off. No, when we first started off, it was me and it was rough. And then COVID hit and the money dried up and I had to apply for unemployment uh, benefits. And, 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 I, and I, I couldn't even look my wife in the face many days because I was failing to be uh, one of the things that a husband is supposed to be, which is a provider for his family. Um, having to rely on the federal government to give stimulus checks and stuff just so you can meet your basic uh, daily needs uh, was very gut-wrenching. But at some point, you just got to do it. It's going to be hard. It will be difficult, especially if you leave your current uh, source of income. And it will be sometimes embarrassing because you'll you'll do all of this planning and, 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 and advertising, and then it'll just fall completely short uh, people will not respond. Even close friends who said they're going to support you will back out. You're not getting any traction. You cannot stop. You have to keep continuing to push forward. Set a date and jump. Wow. I love that. I love that, man. I felt chills when you were just talking, Davis, because some people don't know that story. Right. Yeah. People see people. And, and, and I know this. People come into folks story on in chapter 10 and they don't see chapter one they don't see chapter four they come in on chapter 10 and they see unbox the lead they see the stuff you're doing um they, they're hearing about grants and the work you're doing um but they don't recognize some of the challenges and i think you said something really key one of the things that keeps us from starting is we don't put it out there that we're going to start something right so you you basically had to reverse engineer this. This is my date. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm transitioning. So what do I, once I told people, I can't pull out. I can't pull back from this. I have to keep moving forward. And I think for a lot of us, if you're, if you're going to do something, even this podcast itself, I'm just going to tell the folks who are watching this, when, when I launched the first episode, there were so many things that weren't ready. I had an intro giving out a website that was not built yet. Right. like We had stuff that was not we, it was not on any podcasting platform. The only place it was was YouTube and Facebook because we were just streaming it there. But a lot of the stuff it was saying it wasn't ready. But I knew if I waited for it to be ready, I would, I would just keep waiting and waiting. And I, as I hear you talk about this, you pushed out, started and you allowed yourself even to go through some really tough times, something I was not expected. COVID. Right. Yeah. But you kept moving forward. And I think that's what's so powerful about your story. And for someone, whether you are working as a pastor, not working as a pastor, looking to leave, whatever it is, you have to have a start time, a launch time. And one of the ways to get your launch time locked in is to tell people, to put it out there in public, to tell enough people that if you have to go back on it, there are people who would actually ask you what happened to that thing. Yeah. And, and not just to put out there in the atmosphere. You're so correct. And it's not just to put out in the atmosphere. I'm going to do something. 
Mm-hmm. Again, after they have a conversation with Kimon Hines, after you schedule your consultations, plural, with Kimon Hines, and you have uh, uh, done the exercises and you have uh, laid the foundation that he's going to coach you through step by step, then be very specific on this date. This is what you're going to receive from me. You know, it's not one of those things uh, uh, where you say, you know, we're going to do something. I'm, I'm, I'm about to make a big transition. God's got a transition coming into my life. You'll hear more about it. No. On this date, this is going to happen. Right. And, right. and, 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 and do it. And I didn't make a big to do about it. I mean, I didn't put it all on Facebook or anything else. I know some pastors, when they transition, they, they do a whole big uh, letter on Facebook. I'm just not that important. Nobody, nobody would care enough, <laughs> uh, to even read the letter or even know that I was transitioning. <laughs> so I, mean, I basically be writing a letter myself. <laughs> but I think, I mean, you did it. You did it in the places that were meaningful for you. You told your yes. boss. You told the people, you know, people who were close to you, and eventually you began telling the people who you worked with. And for for you, for different people, different things. But the point is, do something that shows yourself and others. I'm serious about this launch. I'm serious about this start. So Davis, no, you so you started the nonprofit, um, and you talked about the funding. You you mentioned some numbers, right? Right now, but. If I'm someone wanting to get started with a nonprofit, where can I? Where, what's some steps to get that funding? I know you gave me some some advice before. What do you feel comfortable sharing? I know you talked about starting with people you know already, going to the library, but just give us some steps for the regular person who wants to monetize through the nonprofit sector. Okay. What are some steps that we can take? So the first thing is to set up your five hundred one c three. Good. Again, I tr- I recommend Tracy Clark from Clark and Clark. Uh, I believe it's clarkandclark.com and maybe .org. Keep trying until you get the right one. Maybe .net. Uh, Clark and Clark. Or use uh, Google. Or yeah. use Google. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about Google. Yeah, Google. <laughs> Google's helped a lot of people out of a jam, haven't you? Uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, Tracy Clark is her name and the organization is Clark and Clark. And the reason I, I recommend her is because she actually does two things. She has a 100% success rate in getting people their 501c3 status. But she doesn't just get you your, your 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 paper. She actually coaches you through and says, this is what I did. And if ever in the future you need to do it, I, I'm surprised she does it this way because you almost think that she's working herself out of a job. But she actually wants you to know what she's doing. Then she coaches you on how to set yourself up for, um, you know, for, 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 for financial success. So this is how you're going to need to arrange your budget. She gives you so many tools and resources uh, both uh, at the time you connect with her and then ongoing. And so even now, it's years later, I can reach out to her right now, which I just reached out to her the other day, and she responds immediately and gets the stuff I need. So getting your 501c3, getting very clear about what you're hoping to do, mm-hmm. and then you know doing various searches. There's a, there's a website called GrantStation. It does cost, but you can do Google searches around philanthropic organizations in your community that are giving money for what it is that you do and, 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 you know, apply. Yeah. I remember the first grant that I ever wrote and I've written several grants, but I remember the first grant I ever wrote was to uh, blue cross, blue cross, blue shields of Louisiana. And we were denied, but the process was so wonderful. It was because I saw who was, who did receive the grant and I saw what they were doing and why what they was doing was more impactful than what I was doing, which then helped me to notice that 
organizations really want to give it to the people who are going to make the greatest impact. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I thought the Berean Community Wellness and Support Center was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But then when I started to see some of the stuff other folk were doing, I was like, wow, this is tremendous. Yeah. And how long they've been doing it and this, the, 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 you know, the track record they had. Uh, so, you know, identifying what you do well and then starting just to apply. Again, it boils down to, as I said before, you just have to do it. And I know you said, well, one, two, three steps. Number one, get your 501c3, uh, 501c3. Number two, um, become very clear about what it is that you do. Number three, get on Google and start to search for philanthropic organizations that are funding what it is that you do. Number four, write the grants, get the door slammed in your face, get the rejection letters. Uh, At least once a month, I get a rejection letter. Thank you for applying to XYZ grant. Unfortunately, we've received so many applicants and we're on, we were unable to, uh, to fund you at this time. Huh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We go on the next one. But I have yeah. the experience. I'm now in their, in their system. Uh, the next go around, we'll try it again and we'll keep on trying. And that's the thing, just do it. So I think if, you, if we start with those steps, it, it, it'll be very beneficial. You know, that's Davis, I mean, for people, nonprofit, profit, that not allowing the no's to make you lose your drive, lose your enthusiasm, make you give up. It's really like the that's the secret to any kind of success that, okay, you got the door slammed on the first grant. And for a lot of us, that's it, right? Because we want to we want bat a thousand. We want to get yes on every grant. And if we don't, we say something's wrong with this program. I'm not doing this anymore. But to your point, it's, a, it's math. You'll get so many no's to get so many yeses. So just keep doing it. And, and I just want to appreciate you for sharing that. So, so look, just think about here in Denver, and this is, uh, I'm talking about why you can't get discouraged from no's. You look here in Denver. So you have the, uh, you have Season of Grace Unboxed, and mm-hmm. one of our projects is called the Denver Task Force to Reimagine Policing and Public Safety. So we deal with policing, public safety, etc. You have another organization in this city called the Denver Justice Project, which was founded by Alex Landau, a man who was uh, uh, physically assaulted by police to the point that he was uh, hospitalized, almost comatose. Um, And they've been doing this work for over a decade now. Now we partner with them. So if I apply for a grant and they apply for the same grant uh, to deal with public safety or policing and they get it and I don't, I don't feel upset or angry. Rather what I say to myself is, what can I learn from this to grow and to do better the next time? What are they doing well that I can learn from, that I can build from? So it's not about feeling discouraged. And you're right, so many people give up. It's about actually saying, and this, this is the thing about it. Hey, man, you get shot down. But the good thing about getting shot down, especially in the philanthropic world, is that you can learn and you can improve for the next go round or for the next uh, organization you apply to or whatever it may be. So. That's that's the positive thing about it. It's not just where you get. It's not just no like I come from the old school. You had to when you wanted to talk to a young lady, you had to just walk up to her. Yeah, and you had to start talking to her, and hopefully she'll give you her home telephone number. That's it. That's it. Uh, but when you got shot down with that, that was it. There was there was no. Well, can I reapply? Yeah. How do I use this skill? To, <laughs> no, it's just you got shot down. This is different though. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, listen. By the way, let me. This is a side note. I don't even know if I'm allowed to tell this 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 here, but the first time I asked my wife for her phone number, this home phone number, there was no cell phones back then. That's right. Her answer to me was no. It was just no. 
There was no like, oh, let me, I'm sorry. It was just like, I tapped on her shoulder. Can I get your number? It was no. But to your point, that's not the way it works with, with the stuff we're talking about here. There are other ways. There, there are more, more doors to knock on, more places to apply, more grants out there, more opportunities out there. Yeah. Which, by the way, she did tell me she did give me her number later on. Just that's what I'm talking about. And so just, just from the granted perspective, um, even though that's not all that we do, but just from the grants perspective, uh, one of the things that you that every time you're de- denied a, a grant, you have a grant officer mm-hmm. that is responsible for reviewing your grant and referring it to the next level. You can call that grant officer and request a meeting with them. Typically, most grant officers have a calendarly link. You can uh, click, click on the calendarly link, set up a schedule, and just sit down and say, hey, listen, um, I noticed that we weren't approved for the next round. Can you tell us uh, what were some of the challenges? And they may say something like, you don't have a budget. So we don't give to organizations who don't have a budget yet. Well, you just started, so you don't have a budget. Okay, cool. I like that. Thank you for telling me that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Or we didn't give it to you for this reason. But you usually can talk to someone and can get insight into why. Yeah. And most times the why is just this right here. A thousand people applied. We had enough money to give it to 25 people. Here are the 25 people we gave it to. Do you think that what you're doing is, is more impactful than what they're doing? 99.999% of the time, when you look at the list of who did receive the funding, you kind of realize, yeah, man, we got to step it up. Yeah. We got to do better, but we're going we're gonna to come back and do it again. That's good. That's good. Now, we said this in the opener, right? You are monetizing through nonprofit and for-profit. And so we've spent a little bit of time talking about your nonprofit. But let's talk about your for-profit. What are some of the ways now that you have taken this, the, the heart, the passion, what you've, you've, you've brought, um, you've, you've created through, or just really sharpened, I'll, I'll say, through your years leading in congregational ministry? How are you monetizing that now in a for-profit method? So um, I was- And even doing- why, why, why would you even do both then? So go ahead, sorry. I was I was uh, doing some coaching with uh, um, a friend of mine, Chanel Reed. She passed um, recently, uh, but uh, I was doing some coaching with her and, she, and I was sharing with her about uh, family systems and how organizations operate as relationship systems and giving her certain tools to help her to navigate uh, difficult relationships. And she said something to me that was so profound. She said, have you ever thought about doing a support group specifically for executive directors and other high level leaders? And I said, no, it's never even crossed my mind before. She said, that's something you should really think about. I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to get with other friends of mine who are executive directors of family resource centers around the state of Colorado. And would you mind running a pilot for them? I said, let's do it. And so we ran a pilot, it was phenomenal. And then they helped me after the six month pilot, they helped me to identify how we could improve it to not just be a support group that was meeting uh, once every other week, but we transitioned into an entire community uh, that offers more than just a support group, that offers one-to-one coaching, support group, uh, online courses, uh, executive to executive uh, meetings, networking, uh, um, bespoke networking opportunities, and a host of other services that really helps uh, leaders to be a part of a high level community where they can build and support and encourage one another uh, to grow their organizations, to create healthy workplace cultures, as well as to pursue and reach their personal and professional life goals. We call it unboxed lead. Wow. 
man, there's so much I want to unpack from that. Just, I think, for someone out there who is wanting to know, how do I start something? First of all, uh, Chanel, was her name? Chanel Reed, yes. Yeah. Just kudos and, um, you know, to comfort, uh, prayers of comfort for her family. But the fact that she said, have you thought about this? I think for a lot of us, people are telling us, have you thought about this? Um, you would be good at this. And a lot of times our false humility or just whatever it is, right? We deflect that stuff away. We don't pay attention to what people are asking us for or seeing value in. And she saw some value in the work that you had done in your doctoral studies, the work that you've been talking about, preaching on, sharing on, doing workshops on, having a ministry doing it. She's saying, no, have you seen that this ministry has value in the marketplace? But then you took a step of doing a pilot program. And it's really just to test it. You know, don't be afraid to test something out, to experiment, to put something out there in a way that not only allows people to get help from you, but for you to get something valuable from them, feedback. And, and Davis, you did just that. And now you've built something that now has been growing and it's so much better than when you first started. Yeah, I'm, I'm the lead facilitator for Unbox to Lead. And... I went into it trying to figure out how I can support other leaders. And even though as a facilitator, I don't uh, share uh, or, you know, get uh, um, uh, coaching or consulting from the participants, the members, I'm so enriched as I watch leaders help each other think through and problem solve together in a structured, organized way. It is unbelievable. I wrote a book, it's called The 12 Steps to Becoming an Unboxed Leader, uh, which is our 12-step program to help leaders to become more authentic, calmer, less anxious leaders who create positive workplace cultures. Uh, it goes along with the support group component. We have a mastermind group that's uh, tied in with it as well, again, to help people to reach their personal and professional life goals. And so when I'm in, these, when I'm in this space with other leaders, Iron sharpens iron. And so it's almost as if, and I don't know if I should say this because I might, might be killing myself, but it's, it's almost as if, you know, it's somewhat of a robbery because I'm getting, I'm getting so enriched. And I'm saying to myself, while I was pastoring, this is what I needed. I needed a community. I needed a group of other leaders who were on this journey, this leadership journey, to be there with me, to be there for me, to support me emotionally to help me to think through solutions, you know, not to try to solve the problems with uh, for me, but to think through solutions with me, uh, to, uh, to, 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 to walk with me as I try to improve both workplace and home relationships, to have a one-to-one -one coach that I could actually sit down with. You know, we had mentors, but it was very unstructured. And unfortunately, you know, many times mentors just, they just, you know, they have their own experience, but they don't, they don't have, they don't have the skill set to provide you with a structure to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. But actually having, you know, a coach that will help you in a structured way to get to the next level, having, you know, a course that complements it. We call that course Unbox to Learn. It's a part of the Unbox to Lead community. Um, having a course that goes along with it that, that, that helps me to understand how uh, the soft skills of leadership, not just the executive skills, the soft skills of leadership uh, as well has been so blessing to me as I'm working with other leaders. Davis, you are like the example that 
you are a great example of the fact that the ministry that God has given you that has been just formed in a church environment has now you seeing where it's making an impact in the world on not just a weekend basis, right? Or yeah. sporadically, but it's an everyday basis by building people and the things they do in their community, in your nonprofit work, the things they do in their work life. And that's an everyday thing. And I just want to just salute you. And um, for anyone who is out there, you're questioning, um, can my ministry find a place in the marketplace? Look at Dr. Robert Davis. He is showing you that what you have that's found value in the church has a, has a corresponding value in the world and in the marketplace. And my, my, my COO would kill me if I didn't say, make sure that you visit uh, unbox the number two lead.com. That's unboxed to lead.com. I was just about to ask you to go ahead and tell us where we can find more stuff. Um, so this is where if I'm a if I'm a executive leader, high level leader, if I connect here, this is where tell, tell us what what I can do when I get here. When you get there, you can watch videos to figure to learn more. And I think I'm sorry to learn more about what uh, it is that we do. You can set up a free consultation with me uh, and you can also register to be a part of the community all right there uh, or at our website, Unbox to Lead. And we periodically provide scholarships to BIPOC executive directors to be able to join the community uh, uh, on a scholarship. Uh, I don't say for free because there are requirements that are associated with the scholarship. So it's, it's, it's free financially, but it's not free free. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, we, and our next round of the scholarship is going to be coming up uh, in, in the fall. So uh, keep your eye out on that. That's unboxed, the number two, lead.com, unbox the lead. Do you all have any social media handles or any places that you want us to, to follow on social yeah, everything media? Everything is at unbox the number two lead, unbox the lead. Man, I, I feel so good. The fact that you have your, your branding so that everything is the same thing, man. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Listen, uh, Robert, Dr. Robert Lee Davis. Um, man, I'm so glad. I want to say this to you. Um, someone might think or say you left ministry. You never left ministry. No. What you're doing every day is ministry. You've taken it out to the marketplace. You've monetized it, and you're making an impact. And for someone else, my, my only encouragement to you is don't sit on what you have. Don't devalue it. Take it out into the world. Make, it, make a difference. Welcome to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. And you get a chance to interact with them. To me, that's full-time ministry. You get to serve them. You can be a You're going to be paying somebody forever. If you do not niche down, you will never be successful. You'll be so busy just trying to catch everyone and never reaching the right one. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is the truth of the matter is we're not going to die happy because tattoo diabetes is like a thing. It brings in itself and then it opens. I want to provide content and things that I help change lives, and I simultaneously want to to receive a blessing from that. I embrace their calling. I believe God's blessing that stuff. God's blessing that stuff. Now here's your host, Kamon 